Heavenly Father, for the beauty of the season, for your loveliness in nature, and for your redemptive beauty in our hearts, we give you thanks. Even as nature dies only to spring to life again, so let us also walk in your redemptive resurrection power. Bless our time of teaching and learning this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now, uh, quickly, housekeeping. We are not here next Sunday. We're not here the following Sunday. We do not have this class on Palm Sunday or Easter Sunday, but after Easter Sunday, we'll start again, and we have three more lessons, okay? Now, this morning, we are looking at our second Ananias. We have already looked at Ananias and Sapphira, and we don't want to get these two confused. The first Ananias was struck dead by the Holy Spirit for lying to the Holy Spirit and uh, kind of added his influence and shape to the early church in a kind of a backdoor way, in a negative way, as the church was filled with awe and fear at the power of God in its midst. Now, this second Ananias that we look at this morning is found in chapter 9 of the book of Acts. And we're going to see this Ananias in a rather positive light because he serves as a bridge uh, between the Christian community and the apostle uh, Saul, who actually becomes the apostle Paul in a very positive and, uh, and redemptive way. Uh, I want to actually read some of this with you aloud from Acts 9, reminding you that I'm using the King James Version this year in honor of its 400th anniversary, first published in 1611, it's 2011 now, and just as an act of thanksgiving and commemoration, I'm using King James uh, in my own study this year. Now, context. Saul has just witnessed the execution by stoning of Stephen, who was one of the original seven disciples. And we pick up. Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, desired of him letters to Damascus and the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. Now, bring them bound into Jerusalem for what? For trial. What might be the ultimate outcome of that trial? Well, they stoned Stephen. And when the scripture says that Saul was breathing out murderous threats, that's not just idle description for he actually was complicit in the murder of Stephen. So uh, Saul now is on his way to Damascus. He came near Damascus. Suddenly there shined, shined round about him a light from heaven. He fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Uh, to my knowledge, this is one of three times in the New Testament in which the Lord speaks to someone and calls his name twice. Here it's Saul, Saul. Can you think of the other two times in the New Testament when somebody's name is called twice by the Lord? Martha, Martha. You are anxious and worried about many things, but only one thing is needful. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken from her. What's the other one? Simon, Simon. Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you so that your faith would not fail. And after you have turned, strengthen your brethren. And now, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? I was thinking this morning as I was reviewing the scripture, if there was any 
symbolism, any special significance to having your name called twice. Uh, with Mary, it seemed to be a, as a, an emphasis in counsel, counseling. With uh, Paul, or rather comfort, comfort and compassion with, with, uh, with Simon, it seemed to be counsel. And with Saul, it seemed to be call. But at any rate, here is a moment of some extra significance as Paul hears his name called twice. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, if, if, if I had a list of life verses, the second half of this would be one of my life verses. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. You know what that means? A, a prick is a stick with a point on it, and a shepherd is goading his sheep along, you know, and the sheep or the goats are kicking against the pointed stick that's, using, that's being used to shepherd him along. So here is a picture of Jesus going after Saul and guiding him in the right direction, but as a goat or a sheep would kick with its hind legs up against the stick that's pricking him, he only hurts himself by resisting the guidance of the shepherd in the way that he should walk. And there are many times in which I think maybe the Lord is saying to me, Brian, don't kick against my prick. Don't kick against my sharp pointed uh, stick, which is guiding you along in the way that I want you to walk. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what he must do. The men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, seeing none. So Saul arose from the earth. When his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand, brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight. Neither did he eat nor drink, and there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. So Saul was right. There were Christians in Damascus. And it was guys like Ananias that he was going to ferret out and bind and take to Jerusalem for judgment. For he was persecuting the early Christian church. And the Lord said to Ananias in a vision. Let's stop right there for a second. I don't know this for certain, but I heard it said once that in the Hebrew language, the word for vision and dream is the same. But it doesn't seem to be exactly the same in the New Testament. And I checked it, and there seemed to be two separate words for dream or vision. But as we look at it, I think that probably the difference is only in wording, but not function. That throughout the scripture... God has always spoken to his children in dreams and visions. Over and over and over. To Joseph in a dream about Mary, for example. To the wise men not to go back by Herod, for example. And on and on through dreams and visions, God has spoken to his children and given guidance. I was late in life coming to this realization that God still talks to us. You know, I, I kind of was... Oh, I've always loved the scripture, appreciated the scriptures, depended upon the scriptures, but came along rather late in realizing that the scripture, uh, for all of its grandeur and relevance, is one of 
many ways in which God speaks to us. And dreams and visions are other ways in which he still speaks. Now, probably my wife June is, is most responsible for my new awareness of this because she has the gift of prophecy. And the Lord talks to her almost every night. And it's not unusual at all for us to get up in the morning and to kind of debrief. Well, what did you see? What did the Lord say? Did you receive any, any revelation during the night? And as I began to accept her prophetic gift and, and trust in it along with the scriptural record, I began to recognize that some of what I thought were just dreams were actually really visions. They were words of the Lord for me. Back when the Lord called me out of, of pastoral ministry and I, I, I left post as a senior pastor of a church, um, I realized that I, I needed to earn some money somehow. I needed to pay the bills. And I didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't know how I was going to support myself. So I decided that maybe I would be a tour guide. I would uh, take the test and get the license and go downtown and you know, maybe I'd drive one of those buggies or you know, be in a, in a van or walk around or whatever. But I'm native-born. I'm a local Charlestonian. I love the city. I have lots of stories to tell about old Charleston and Civil War days. Uh, so I decided I was going to be a tour guide. So I went down and bought the book to study, and I had a dream. <laughs> and the dream was I was driving a tour bus. And for some reason, I had to stop and turn around and go back to where I was coming from, and I made a three-point turn in the road to go back where I was coming from, and I ran over the cash box of the owner of the van. And the owner of the van came to me and said, I just don't think this is going to work out, is it? <laughs> and I said, no, sir, I don't think this is going to work out. <laughs> well, that was a vision. That was God telling me, no, I don't want you in secular work. I don't want you to drive a tour bus. And my wife and I still kind of chuckle at this one. But this was one of the early ones where I could recognize that God was talking to me and he was giving me some guidance. And it still happens. Uh, and not just to special people. I honestly think God speaks to us in a myriad of ways across the spectrum of who we are as Christians, however long or deep our faith walk has been. Uh, and I would encourage you to pay attention to what happens to you at night while you sleep. Uh, sometimes visions and dreams come and you'll remember them right when you wake up and then you'll lose them quickly. Maybe even to the point of putting a, a composition book there on your bedside table and writing them down as quickly as you can when you wake up. And just asking yourself in your, in your prayers, Lord, we're asking the Lord, Lord, uh, is this from you? What does it mean? Would you give me understanding? And see if maybe the God won't speak in a vision or a vision dream to you, even as he has done throughout the Holy Scripture. So anyway, Ananias gets a vision. The Lord speaks in this vision. So far, it's just an audio vision. He just hears words. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. This business of having your name called. You ever had that happen? First time it happened to me, I sat straight up in bed. I heard my name just as clearly as it possibly could be spoken to me. And again, it happens to my wife, June, all the time. She's, she's hearing the Lord and he's talking. She gets a lot of audio visions and video visions. 
Um, I, I talked to a man by email in England about a month ago. And he had, uh, <clears throat> I had come to meet him when I was over in Scotland to minister with a lady. And he was very gracious and kind to us while we were there and picked us up and drove us all around and made sure all of our needs were met. But he had never professed faith in Christ. It was something in his background. Something happened to him, make him bitter toward the church. But he was such a good and gracious man. I said to him, Robert, you're a believer. You just don't know it. Now you have so much goodness inside of you, it's not natural. The person you are has too many supernatural components. And you are a believer, you just don't know it yet. I got an email from him about a, a, a month ago, and he had had um, <clears throat> a near heart attack, maybe an actual heart attack, and uh, he, was, he was leaving his body. And suddenly he heard his name called Robert. And just as he heard his name called, uh, they shocked him with the deep ribs. And he, and he came back to life, basically. But right before that happened, he heard his name called, Robert. And I've heard many people say there were those moments in which they just heard their name called. Perhaps some of you have had that experience. But here, Ananias gets his wake-up call. Ananias, behold, I'm here, Lord, kind of like Samuel. Lord, here I am. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. Now notice what's going on here. This is a two-way street. Um, Ananias is being called. At the same time, Saul is calling out to God. So there's a double dynamic. God to Ananias and Saul to God. And they come together as two parts of a larger whole. It makes you wonder how many people out there are praying for guidance, praying for answers, praying for some spiritual direction while God is speaking to you and getting you ready to be a part of the answer. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in. Okay, Ananias has got a vision. Saul has got a vision. Ananias' audio vision is directions here. And Saul's visual vision is someone has come, is coming to lay hands on him and to restore the sight that he lost when the Lord appeared to him. What's with this laying on of hand stuff? I don't know that it's explainable. But there is something powerful about touching another pe person in the name of Jesus Christ. There's something powerful about touching just in human psychology. But when another person is touched by one representing Jesus Christ, something happens. Paul talked about Timothy being set aside to ministry, called and ordained, and sanctioned by the church by the laying on of hands. We come forward and we lay hands on the preacher before he preaches. I can tell you that makes an enormous difference. I don't know how it works, but I can tell you it does work. And I would say to you that if, if in any time of counsel or comfort that you may be offering somebody who is troubled, 
that if you're comfortable enough within your own self to do that, you might just say, may I just put my hand on you in the name of our Lord and bless you or come against whatever is troubling you or pray for you in Jesus' name. There is a connection there which is very powerful. Now, Saul has a vision that someone is coming to lay hands on him. That he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many things of this man, how much evil he hath done to thy saints in Jerusalem. Ah. I think maybe a word's left out here. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many things of this man, how much evil he hath done. Maybe it should read, Ananias answered, but Lord. Not just Lord, but Lord. You have a yes, but God? Yes, but God, this is why I can't do that. Yes, but Lord, there are all these complications and all these obstructions between here and there. Yes, but Lord, I am so busy. Yes, but, yes, but. Generally, in dealing with each other, we don't like to be yes, butted, do we? Where someone says yes, but the rest of the story is, and you got it all wrong. I do this all the time with God. I, I, I don't know what it is. I, um, I have to get my wife to help me with it sometime. But I just want to argue and I want to talk back and I want to yes but him. Um, she thinks maybe I picked it up in college when I, I was on the debate team in college. I had 285 intercollegiate debates. So I was pretty, pretty steeped in it. You know, nobody could, nobody could say something I couldn't improve on. <laughs> you know, that was kind of my attitude. <laughs> just go ahead and say it. I'm right here to yes, but you and say it better. Kind of that competitive juices. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard many things of this man, how much evil he's done to the saints in Jerusalem. Why was he saying this? He was telling the Lord why this was a bad idea. Isn't that what we're doing when we yes, but God? This is not a good idea, God. So I don't want to do it. I can't do it. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that came on thy name. You know, the, the early church must have had some spies because they got it exactly right. Ananias knew exactly who Saul was, why he was coming, and where he was coming from, and about the letters of authority to arrest people. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles. I would imagine that Ananias was thinking, um, this is a colossal waste of time. Uh, this man is hopeless to, to our faith. Uh, <clears throat> maybe the Lord is just testing me to see if I'll, I'll do that which is ridiculous and impossible. Kind of like Abraham being told to sacrifice his son Isaac. I imagine that there were some warning lights that went on inside of Ananias' mind, which said, um, tilt. Something's not on the level here. This man is coming to harass us and to arrest us and to take us to judgment and even see us killed. God, you want me to go to him and lay hands on him? 
Do you think there is ever anyone so far from the grace of God that he can't be touched and changed? Do you think that man's rebelliousness and his stubborn will and his cold-hearted resistance to his God could ever be so great that it is greater than the mercy of God and the ability of God to change him and to remake him. Well, we know the rest of the story with Saul. We'll get to some scriptures in a moment which say that the change was immediate. Tell you a story. A couple of years back, I received a phone call from an attorney in upstate South Carolina who was representing a man being charged with murder. It was a high-profile murder case. If I were to give you any details about it at all, you would recognize it and you would remember it. It was in all the papers, uh, all the television broadcasts. This attorney uh, rightfully suspected that his client would get the electric chair. That what he had done was so heinous and was so well documented by evidence and proof that there was no way he was going to be declared not guilty. But he wanted his client's soul saved. He had heard about some of the work that we do, and he asked if we would be a part of that effort of bringing his client to Christ. One of the ladies who was working with us at that time agreed to kind of take this on and go, and she drove up to upstate South Carolina, and met with the attorney, <clears throat> and that led to numerous meetings with this man. And she described the first time she actually laid eyes on this man, they brought him into the conference room, and he was covered with tattoos, he was bald, he had that roughened prison look, you know, that icy stare, almost like something else is looking out at you. And uh, very hostile. And she began to build a relationship with him, along with this attorney, and was appointed by the courts to be his counselor. Now, you talk about God using civil system. This, the court actually appointed her to be this man's counselor. And over a period of time, this man found the Lord. And he, he renounced his past. He confessed what he had done. He was guilty. Made the statement that he hoped that he would be sentenced to death because it would give the family of the victim some closure and some peace. He was an artist, a gifted artist. And he had many, many sketches that were just diabolical. I mean, they were so dark, they were demons and dragons and Satan and flames and knives and blood and mutilation and you know just sheaf after sheaf after sheaf of drawings like that. My colleague uh, baptized him in the prison, pouring water on. His artwork changed from all of that Sadism, masochism, 
darkness and evil to the most remarkable drawings of hope and God's love. I remember one that she showed me. There was, a, there was this lake of fire and, 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 and his, what, what he described as his hand coming up out of these flames like this and, and my colleague reaching down and grabbing him and pulling him up to Christ. Remarkable change. In the beginning of all of this, no one really expected that kind of dramatic turnaround in this man. But what happened was, God's grace was deeper than this man's sin. And this man's rejection of all that was righteous and good and loving was not powerful enough to overpower the grace and the mercy of God in his life. So when Ananias said yes but to the Lord, Lord, this is a waste of time for me to do anything with this Saul fellow. He's too far gone. He's dangerous. The response of the Lord then is reproduced in his responses even now in which we find ourselves in the face of very dark darkness, very deep evil, very powerful resistance to the presence of God in the human heart. So Ananias goes, and we'll just paraphrase from here on out. He enters the house to which he has been sent, lays his hands on Saul, prays for his sight to be restored, prays for him to be filled with the Holy Ghost right away. There's no mention of how he actually was filled with the Holy Ghost here, but there is an immediate change in Paul, for just in a few days he's preaching Jesus. Immediately there fell from his eyes that had been scales. He received sight, forthwith arose, and he was baptized. Ah, he was baptized. Last Sunday we looked at Philip, Uh, And Philip, another one of the original seven deacons, got up in the chariot with the Ethiopian eunuch that came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, there is water. What is to prevent my being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and he went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him, which seems to be a picture of baptism by immersion, doesn't it? They go down into the water. What's going on here? They're in a house. And Ananias lays hands on him, and the Holy Ghost falls on him, and he is baptized, presumably in the house. Now, which is the correct mode of baptism? By immersion or by pouring or sprinkling? I think we have the answer here in these two stories. Both. It's not the mode, it's the meaning. It's not how to, it's it's the heart. It is the heart. And so if, if one in, in Christian faith receives baptism by, by pouring or baptism by immersion, if the heart is right, then the mode is right. And I think it's just wonderful here that we have you know, those choices to make. And both are very, very powerful symbols. Perhaps baptism by, by pouring is more symbolic of having sins washed away Baptism by immersion is more symbolic of of death and burial and and resurrection. But 
Um, there's one other possibility. It could have been that this family where there was, there was hosting Saul was wealthy enough to have a private mikvah. A mikvah is a, a ceremonial cleansing pool. Seven steps. Uh, and, and righteous Jews who could afford their own private mikvah would regularly go through ceremonial bathing in this mikvah. However, I personally don't think that's the case. It's a possibility. But I think probably whatever water was available was used on Paul. The Holy Spirit fell and confirmed not only the faith, but the baptism. And when he had eaten, he was strengthened. And Saul stayed several days with the disciples at Damascus, the ones he was going to rout out and arrest and take to Jerusalem. And the scripture says, straightway, he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. And all that heard him were amazed and said, is not this he who destroyed them which call on his name in Jerusalem? Not so rhetorical question. How would this story have panned out without Ananias? What would have happened? It seems that Ananias here was an extremely important link in this story. An extremely important link between Paul the persecutor and Paul the preacher, Paul the apostle. If no Ananias, there's still this great gap between Saul and Paul, right? And the question is, does God ever today send us to the worst of the worst and say, go represent me to that person? so that that person actually has the opportunity to say yes or no to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And with the potential for yes always being there because the Holy Spirit goes with you. It's always a wonderful thing to speak to another human being in the name of Christ. Sometimes I think, however, we pick the easy ones. Does God's Spirit still speak to us and say, that person who you think is a hopeless case is the person I want you to go to. You go to the worst of the worst. You go to the most stubborn of the stubborn. You go to the most rebellious of the rebellious. And you just represent me. You're not responsible for whether he says yes or no. All you're responsible for is representing me. Whether he comes to me is between him and me. But whether you go and represent me to him is between you and me. And is it possible that Satan has not changed his stripes, that one of the knee-jerk immediate reactions that we have to a call like that is to say, Yes, but Lord.
And Ananias went his way and entered into the house. If we can just get past the yes budding, we can go our way, trust the Holy Spirit to go before us and with us and linger behind us. But there is nobody, absolutely nobody, who is off limits to the grace of God through Jesus Christ, if only those will go to the worst of the worst in His name and then leave the rest up to God. When I say worst of the worst, who are you thinking about? You better be careful. Because God may be starting to speak to you right now about that person. Lord, help us to be bridges. Help us not to yes but you. Help us to know, Lord, that, that you can turn a person around 180 degrees so that those who persecute you and revile you and work against you, can in the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit become powerful representatives of your grace. If only we will go without complaint, without improving on anything you're trying to say to us, without objection and debating, even to the worst of the worst, remembering that no one, absolutely no one, is hopeless before you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.